0: On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about progressing post-operative patients. We talk about academic versus clinical-based PTs and what to do with your programming with former overhead athletes. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show, helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everyone, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm here at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston with Lenny Macarena, Dave Tilly. We're here to answer some of your awesome questions, your PT questions, your fitness questions, your sports performance questions, your business, baseball, gymnastics, life. sometimes life questions. Lenny can yeah. answer some life Philosophy. questions for you. Doctor Phil, right? I can teach you how to use Trello and Evernote real easy. Um, ask us away. Uh, but no, um, uh, you know, keep asking. You guys are doing a great job submitting some great questions you can go to mike and click on the podcast link and submit some more questions we get so many good ones we we really appreciate it all the all the comments are great we read them all they're they're fantastic so we'll try to get to as many as we can uh on each episode here so um definitely keep submitting and um i'll i guess it's my turn i'll read away on this one so let's see we have first question is uh savannah from florida hi Exclamation point. Uh, For ACL rehab, do you rehab based on a time protocol or how the patient is progressing? I'm a DPT student and I've been at two clinics where they progress fairly differently.
1: Hmm.
0: Len, you want to start this on?
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, protocols, as a new grad or a DPT student, you can use the protocol as a rough guide to kind of help your mind think that Makes sense because the protocols have been set up, especially the ones that we developed when we were in Birmingham with uh, Kevin Wilf and Dr. Andrews, were based off of healing uh, and, and research of uh, tendon healing and just wound healing and just you know just natural healing. So you can use those as a rough guideline, and then keeping that in the back of my head, this is my approach. I take that approach and then, or take that information and then I base it off of how the person is presenting. Do they have any concomitant issues? Meaning, do they have meniscal involvement? Do they have a bone bruise? Which a lot of them do. Um, do they have any articular cartilage issues? Any, any, any MCL sprains? Any other things going on? And then I have to formulate a plan based off of that as well. So my answer is kind of both. Right. Um,
0: because you're good and you've been doing this for a while and you've seen, you know, so, so many different right. surgeries and stuff. I mean, I, I always consider it a protocol. Uh, so the protocol is like the fastest you can go. You can't go faster than the protocol, right? Because the protocol has been designed based on, like Lenny said, the basic science and our understanding of the tissue that's involved and the healing response to that specific surgery that you just had or they just had, right? So oftentimes it's like, you can't do this because we're trying to protect that tissue. So a protocol is like the fastest you can go. Um, and you want to try to hit the guidelines in a protocol so that way they don't get behind. Right. I think that's the way to do it, but that doesn't mean everybody's always ready. So a good example is when you get to the advanced levels and the return to activities and stuff everyone's like you know so for like baseball it's like you know when do you start throwing a ball it's like well it's not week 16 i mean yes that's the earliest you can throw and oftentimes if you've nailed everything you're good but you have to have a good clinical exam like you have to you know you have to have done the right rehab progression like if you haven't done two-hand plyometrics you can't go to one-hand plyometrics you haven't done one-hand plyometrics you can't start throwing you know just as an example just using that like you wouldn't go right to like all right you can play basketball because it's month six after acl well like no you haven't done cutting you haven't done running you haven't done jumping drills those types of things so the protocols is the fastest you can go and you should try to be close to that but sometimes people are a little slower and and they have to meet the guidelines so you don't just do something because it's week x you do it because they're ready for it um and you're you know? gonna think about
2: the the end plan like when yeah. does for the, your example it's an acl we do a lot of baseball here when do they need to be ready to be in game ready so then you got to build backwards from that so they need we have nine months in theory there's always going to be a hiccup uh, when you hit somewhere in the process you're going to get delayed but if we have nine months then I want maybe to have them cutting at you know seven or eight months in theory and I want them running at five to six months and I want range of motion and you got to build oftentimes backwards from the ultimate goal because I think that'll at least give the patient or the client something in their head a goal to shoot for and also you kind of you you build off of that as well did i say that correctly or yeah. well, my my mumbling that was good good it's got to be both and i think
1: your point of like when they need to be ready is really important so for example we had a younger female was going to college and she didn't need to be playing right away. Right. It's like, why right. not take the extra right. two months? And I think we're seeing in some of the research, especially from BJSM is like every month extra was another, whatever, 20 something percent that they were at less risk to re injure because right. you have to work on the advanced strength. And we're seeing maybe the protocols that were developed are right. you know, good for this, but maybe not that like very
2: high level sport. We need to right. be a little bit longer. They were learning longer is better. Yes, absolutely. So.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. All right. Next question. Casey from Charlotte. Hi, Mike and the crew. I'm a big crew. fan of the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You guys get a t-shirt. Crew. t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, I'm currently a first year master's student and CSCS, and I'm still not sure about which career path to take after graduation, either a PhD or a DPT. Um, I love working in the lab on research projects, but I also love working with clients and patients in the clinic. Do you have any recommendations regarding bridging the gap between the lab and the clinic? And would you hire a rehab biomechanics PhD to work at your facility? Well, I would. We, um, I don't think we could afford you. Um, uh, uh, yeah, no, that would be cool. So, all right. So, PhD versus DPT. Hmm. Anybody? Uh, again, I think this that? comes down
1: to the where you want to go with your career. Right. Correct. So again, DPT right. clinical with people, you know, orchestrating the rehab process. I think PhD is probably taking more the scientific route. To be, you're going to get PhD in yeah. more advanced biomechanics. Right. right. So yeah. I think that really comes down to what you want to do with the majority of your career. You know, right. I know I do know some friends of mine that went on and, and want to be like half lab, half clinical, and they do both. Right. Um, but I would just say it's challenging to be really good at both to master all right. of the heavy stuff in the academics, but also be really up-to-date and current with the literature in DPT. Right. So yeah. right. I worry that you're kind of like dipping your hand a little bit in both too much. But yeah, that's just so my it's, personal it's, opinion.
0: It's almost like academic versus clinical, like, right. right? Like it's, you know, it's, I think it'd be super weird. It probably wouldn't be super weird. I shouldn't have said that. But like, you know, getting your PhD and then working in an outpatient PT clinic seems like it wasn't worth your time, um, right. you know, to, well, to do that.
2: But then using somehow your PhD... Background, even if you don't pursue it all the way, and being a clinical researcher and publishing stuff based off of your experiences as a PT—that's right. I th- I, that's valuable, valuable stuff sure. because you're li- you're in the trenches every day. You're living it and you're sharing your information with statistical analysis right. and everything I mean, else. I think that's so powerful stuff that you know we've done when we were at ASMI. And I think it's it's huge. It kind of gives you a little more credibility too. I think for the profession that you're living it every day and you're 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 seeing it happen. So yeah, yeah. well I'm curious about that because when you guys are doing a lot of your research, were you still actively treating? Oh yeah, oh my god, so, I mean, yeah. weekends weekends seven and that's eight a take
1: on, but yeah. like yeah. Yeah. that gives you guys a lot of well,
0: yeah. So it's do you want to do you know academic and lab based research? or You want to do clinical research? Right. Right? and that's so True. we so we we do not have PhDs and we do a ton of clinical research. We still do clinical research, you know. So it's different and there. I, I think there needs to be both.
2: But we worked with PhDs who helped us build. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> Minimally. but Yeah. ASMI was huge. And for st- statistical analysis, easy for me to say, statistical, <laughs> statistics. <laughs> just, stop. It, 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 <laughs> just, just Just stop. the analysis <laughs> of what we've done. And then, you know, we did the clinical implications. We did the introduction. And they helped with the results. And then. Yeah. The
0: design like, versus the design actually the, doing yeah. it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's hard to do different. yourself. I mean. Yeah, it wouldn't be fun to do all that yourself. I mean, you de- that's why you collaborate. But yeah. I mean, if you go to a big media, you go to APTA you, or something like that, you go to the sports section's uh, team concept thing, you could, you could tell who the academic people and who the clinical people are. you can tell, you know, when somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm a, a professor at a university, and then somebody says, I own a practice, their presentations are different, right. you know? So you get the one that's all research-based, but not a lot of <laughs> clinical implications. And then you got the the clinical side, which is a ton more clinical implications. So, you know, I, I think we got to work together, but they're definitely different, yeah. you know, so, um, you know, I don't know. I think we do a good job blending the clinical research in. So, I mean, if you truly love seeing people, I, I wouldn't, I say you need a PhD to do research, you right. know, so, but, you know, I I don't know. I mean, you definitely get to figure out where where you'd rather be. What do you want right. your primary job to be? You know, I know there's plenty of PhDs at universities that, that treat people, like, in the school's clinic or something like that, mm-hmm. like, once or twice a week, those types of things. But that's clearly not saying I'm the clinical guy. Like, you know, just treating somebody once a week's not. Right. It's just different. It's right. different. So, all right, let's see. Last question. Vin from New Jersey says, how would you just excuse me, how would you adjust a program for a former overhead athlete that's trying to correct asymmetries as opposed to a current thrower trying to avoid creating them? Oof. Okay. So let's Add say an, an X, an X overhead athlete is trying to correct their asymmetries.
2: I guess it's bad news. Probably going to be bad news. Those asymmetries developed when you were very young and probably through middle school, high school, and maybe college, depending on your life. Um, they are there, and they're probably not going away anytime quickly. They're probably bony, a lot of them, right. uh, at least in the shoulder if you're a, you are an overhead athlete. So that definitely you have to break your humerus and have it reset to correct some of that stuff. Probably not going to happen. So, um, you know, there might be other things that you can, you know, lower extremity, pelvic type uh, stuff. But even then, I don't mean, know. Yeah, I bet I you that's look, bony, you, too. It, yeah, it's probably bony. So, d- yeah. I think it is what it is, and I think it's why you're trying to correct the asymmetry. What is it doing? What is it affecting? If you're trying to... You're like, I can't scratch my back, my right side, but I can do it on my left. Well... Just scratch where you left. There's no need to. Have it. They, they sell those. Yeah. scratch <laughs> You know, and, and stuff them. like that. You, you're always pointing stuff out to people that asymmetry is a very natural and normal, and it's nobody is symmetrical. Right? Yeah,
0: I, the asymmetry in these overhead population probably isn't something you can address soft tissue. It's not uh, loose versus tight or strong versus weak. Uh, now you might have some of that, but those are easy to address, and I don't think you're having trouble with that. I don't think that's where this question is. It's should, it's more the other the other things, and unfortunately those symmetries are probably there to stay yeah i know? would say i still got it i do not i still got it
2: my 59 I miles still per it. hour shows it
0: i got it wow i look terrible I'm, we just I'm looking at my. The, you know, we're doing a
2: dance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> something tells me that's gonna be
2: yeah.
0: yeah. this week's
1: uh, yeah, image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, i would say obviously it's like what do you want to do with your fitness or your life like do you need to be doing bilateral barbell exercises if like when you could do asymmetrical stuff and not. I want it. to, Dave. Well, it comes down to what you're willing to sacrifice for it then. Yeah. If you're willing to put up with some shoulder crankiness to get to. Whatever. Right. Right. Again, yeah. right. oh, yeah. uh, right. whatever your goal is
0: awesome well thank you guys another great round of questions we appreciate it um, keep asking away go to mike click on the podcast link and you can submit your own questions again anything you guys want to talk about just well not anything but stick, stick <laughs> to what we do St- <laughs> don't stick to what we do direct past. message line yeah yeah, yeah. Just, I'll give you a cell phone just email it. Um, but ask us some questions and uh, be sure to sign up for our email list so you can get notifications and we have some new content on there a bunch of cool little freebies you get with that too and go to itunes Leave us a review and uh, a rating and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks I again guess. so much. See you, <laughs> Gymnast. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRynell.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word